Welcome to the Revenue Marketing Report powered by Caliber Mind. I'm your host, Kamala Thompson, and today I'm thrilled to introduce Valentin Radu. Valentin, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi there, Kamala, and hello, everyone. I'm really glad and excited to be here with you. Uh, a bit about myself, I'm an export kid from Bucharest, Romania. I'm passionate about uh, building companies. And uh, in the last uh, 12 years, I've uh, became obsessed about the customer lifetime value and how to optimize it and increase it for e-commerce and retailers. I love it because this crosses over uh, really well into B2B, which is our primary focus on this podcast. And I'm always looking to B2C to help educate us because you all tend to be ahead of us by about a good, I don't know, five years. (laughs) (laughs) So let's step back a little bit. So I don't know if you all are seeing this in the market, but particularly in B2B SaaS, uh, we've had quite the downturn that's sped up over the last half of the year. Things seem to be stabilizing a bit, knock on wood, but we'll see. But what we noticed was a lot of company leaders were switching their strategy to multi-year contracts and (laughs) looking at how to move from monthly to annual and all of these changes with their existing customer base and then trying to upsell into the existing customer base because they're trying to cut costs on initial customer acquisition. So tell tell me a little bit about your thoughts. Have you been seeing that at all over on your side of the business world? Yeah, yeah, of course, Camilla. So the, the, these strategies is, uh, are are all right, and uh, they, they they are coming from uh, from an assumption that uh, you should be squeezing more from uh, from your customers so that you can secure uh, future cash flows, and they they all make sense economically. But they, of course, they 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 make sense economically for the for one side of the story, which is for the company. I'm a B2B SaaS, uh, I, I, I run a B2B SaaS company as well. And uh, when I'm looking for ways to A, secure cash flow, B, expand the customer lifetime value, this, these are one of the, uh, the, the first tactics that come to mind. Of course, we are seeing this in... Uh, in the B2C uh, world as well, because we are seeing uh, this uh, subscription economy that's not only emerging, but blooming right now. We are seeing many uh, retailers which are trying to secure the relationships with their, uh, with, with their customers in this manner. Now, what it's, uh, what it's important to, to understand is uh, that these tactics should make sense for the customer as well. So what's in it for me should be the, is, is the question of any customer because we are consumers as well and we are paying for all sorts of stuff. So if our telecom provider suddenly says that, you know what, the, you need to pay upfront for, uh, in order to, 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 to talk to your phone or to have your data plan or uh, on the contrary, they say in order to benefit from, uh, from our services, you need three years contracts. The, the two years contracts are gone. So how would this make us feel? So mainly uh, that's of course coming from a perspective where companies must secure their future cash flows and to diminish the, the, the churn. However, in order to make sense, for the customers as well, they need to come up with a, either a proper justification, things like, for instance, uh, we, we've seen this working very well. Uh, in order to keep your current price for your subscription, you need to pay upfront because in two months we will grow, we will raise the prices by 25%. So in this manner, you will see that because you're a valued customer, 
we are giving you this option to freeze the price, but you need to 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 take this uh, small uh, uh, to to make this uh, investment. So, in if you package the right way, this works in B two C, and I think they also work in B two B. It's all about the framing, right? So, how you frame the reality is more important than the reality itself. At some uh, in in some particular cases. What's been interesting from my standpoint is I've been seeing and hearing people talk about bulking purchasing multi-year contracts in particular with early stage companies. So series A, people are bulking a bit because the customer doesn't want to assume the risk just in case that company doesn't make it through the downturn. So that's been interesting. Another trend I've been seeing, a lot of smaller companies are outsourcing procurement through vendors like vendor.com and they've been getting even better at negotiating. So I see less hesitation on the upfront um, or even multi-year contract as long as the company is well-established and they they even kind of embrace it when they have a procurement team that can really haggle you on the prices, right? Yeah, exactly. and. Uh... Uh, I guess this, this has a lot to do with, uh, with, with, let's say, the uncertainty in the market, you know. And uh, of course, in, in in uncertain times, the the, the companies that are most affected are, are the ones which are uh, the the smallest, right? So basically, you your chances of survival and thriving are lower. But it's also an, uh, an opportunity for for these companies as well. So my um, my perspective on this is that if you have your if you sort out your unit unit economics uh, the the right way, uh, for instance, you unless you are struggling with something, there are low chances that you are going to make progress with that something. And uh, I, I see this as an opportunity because this is forcing uh, even small companies and uh, B2B SaaS companies, which are not, let's say, having 1,000 employees or something like that. They, that's forcing them to focus, you know, because many companies are not uh, dying, uh, are dying because they are drowning in opportunities. So they can't decide on which uh, ideal customers to focus, ideal customer profile A, B, or C, or they are uh, they are trying to do too many things at the same time with uh, scarce resources. And uh, I guess if you can understand which are your ideal customers, I'd, economically speaking, and also from from a value impact. Uh, that, that you bring in their lives, then that's going to allow you as a company not to trick some companies which don't really get enough value from your product to buy from. Yeah, and a couple of things are jumping to my mind. One is the quote that I've never heard a leader say that they regretted focusing too narrowly. It's always, I tried to tackle too much. And then the other piece of that is being a data-driven leader and really learning how to focus on what your ideal customer profile is one big mistake i see a lot of companies make is they look at the whale deals the biggest deals the most ambitious things where the company is made to stretch and maybe meet some requirements they don't normally meet instead of their bread and butter like fits perfectly don't need to do a lot of optimization that's probably the one you should go after so as a data-driven leader how do you make the decision on uh what your ideal target is yeah that's uh, that's a great question and um, from from our perspective it's uh, we have 
criteria. So it all happened, I mean, this process started back in 2017 when we were targeting all targets, all markets, lots of products, lots of unique value propositions. And we we looked at the, the cost to serve, we looked at the time to close, we looked at the average deal size, and we look at the, the, the churn and the uh, net promoter score. So we, we've used these uh, five components to see if there are some patterns, and they were. So we, we identified that our best customers are, uh, are using some components of our software, and the features made them so happy about it. And after that, it, it's, uh, it, it became clear what's, uh, what's our direction. And for instance, that allowed us to focus on customer value optimization for mid-size uh, retailers that have at least 200 employees, they have they are omnichannel, they they use it because they are struggling with their heritage infrastructure, and their business model might not make sense anymore due to the high customer acquisition costs. And that allowed us to to basically articulate the problems that we are uh, solving properly. So my suggestion, maybe those criteria are different uh, for, for different companies are there, but my suggestion would be to make this type of uh, analysis because without the blending the qualitative data with the quantitative data, uh, you would be following some assumptions that might be or might not be the right ones. Oh, I so agree with you. And I'm going to just double down and restate some of those metrics you mentioned because they're great. Time to sale, cost of acquisition, you're talking about uh, retention rate or churn rate on the opposite side of that. And then you're also talking about um, cost of service. And then I would say time to value as well because that can be much longer with some of the larger companies if you're having to do a lot of customization or any changes in your system to support them. And then I really like what you said too, is you're focusing on the data points because humans are biased and, and we tend to remember something that was really, really positive or really, really negative. So those salespeople who are salivating after that really big deal that got them a lot of commission, that may not be the right audience to chase if the time to value and cost of acquisition and all of the other things you mentioned, NPS score, all of those aren't trending in the right direction. So love it. That's, that's fabulous. Are there any other things you want to touch on the data side before we move on to the post-sale cycle? Um, yeah, I guess another uh, another important thing would be to, to, to look at the events because in a B2B environment, there are some, besides what happened in the past or who are, who are your best customers according to this, uh, this data, there are there might be some things which are happening, which are uh, which can be let's say scanned or spotted thanks to the technology, and those are some buying signals. So, if the buying signals are uh, are changing, for instance, uh, we are now providing. Uh, uh, one of our products is an A/B testing tool, and we we have we are now being uh, let's say uh, fluted with demand from customers which are migrating from Google uh, Google Optimize, which is sunsetting back in September this year. So we've got this type of signals already and we've prepared because we've, we've noticed that from uh, December, but their official announcement was at the beginning of February. So that gave us some 
one and a half months to, to, to prepare with the comparison with our offer and to revisit our pricing and whatever. So basically that's, that's another important thing. I know, I, I know another thing, which we, which was, uh, uh, we're working with a company called Gorgias. They are our partners and they, they've, uh, they've also identified that their, their best buying signal to, to chase after some prospects were, was when someone installed Clavio, which was the email service provider. So, Within the two two months after their uh, uh, activation of this service, they've been there for them. So mainly there are some buying signals that might be changing. And if you if all you are doing is let's say this text desktop research, you you might be missing some some opportunities out there. Uh, another example now that you've started me, uh, one of our clients. Uh, used our technology. He's a B2B uh, e-commerce, and they are selling uh, pet supplies. Sorry, office supplies. So they uh, they've identified by doing RFM segmentation that stands for recency, frequency, and monetary value because they don't have like a, like a subscription. So there are asynchronous uh, purchases, right? You might have someone buying today and then in two months, another one in six weeks and whatever. But they've identified that their best customers when it comes to how recently, frequently, and monetary they bought were companies which, are, uh, which had uh, free uh, uh, domains of activity. And then they've identified, they, they focused their acquisition towards these type of customers because their lifetime value was the highest and their, their close rate was, was higher if they are coming from that domain. And moreover, they've uh, activated uh, a real-time uh, analysis on their uh, forms on their website when someone was asking for an offer and the time to first response was higher if they've got this type of free domains in that form. So this type of uh, things might be some good tweaks to, 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 to look at right now. Fabulous, fabulous. Data is amazing as long as you know how to use it. That's, that's the trick. So post-sales cycle, let's talk about how that's changing now with uh, the emphasis in increasing the customer lifetime value. What are some areas you suggest people focus right now? Yes. Yeah, so the, the, the challenge right now is that, uh, let's say, if you're selling commodities or if you're not too differentiated in the market, then you're in trouble. And you're also in trouble if the counterpart or let's say the the user of the product that you're selling that you're selling or the company itself is uh, is not overly satisfied about what you do so basically if if you have parity in terms of the product features if you have parity in terms of the price if you have parity in in terms of uh, the marketing or what kind of promises are you making then the last arena that you can uh, fight on is the customer experience how you make them feel becomes more important than what you sell so that means you you should be well aware of, about the fact that it's it's not about shipping the product itself it's about the product and the customer experience and fulfilling the promise that you, you you've made and another thing i know is that there are many tools or there are many products which are just a part of the end solution right so let's presume you are selling a, a product which is doing uh, data enrichment to generate leads it's just a part of help me close more sales you know in order to close more sales 
you need uh, enriched leads or better quality leads, and that's why you need the product uh, C. As long as you understand as a provider, as a product, uh, that you're just a part of the whole sandwich, like uh, like like Bob Mesta, which is one of my mentors, which I greatly appreciate. This guy, he stated that you sometimes you're just the master from this, the whole sandwich. You know, so if you understand that and if you help your customers make progress with other ways than just using your product, and if you also onboard them properly by how to make use, how to get fast to the value that your product is delivering, then you will stand out against other competitors. So those are the touch points that you should be uh, leveraging in this type of relationship with newly acquired customers or, or uh, people which are on, on a trial if you are talking about the B2B software. Yeah, time to value is so critical along with overall satisfaction. I agree with you 100% because if you don't focus on those things, they're going to churn. The other person will focus on the price or something else that'll be enticing to them and they won't have enough incentive to stay. And it's also interesting you mentioned being part of the sandwich. It's There's some big tools out there that do a lot of things okay. And then there are some tools that do each thing very, very well. I've noticed that, especially as companies scale, the CFO is more and more attracted to the companies that do a lot of things okay because there's more room to negotiate on overall price points. So, yeah, it's, it's hard to advocate for a tool that one user likes when the cost is great. So is there anything else you would like to add before we talk about where people can find you online? Yes, I guess one uh, one important thing analyzed uh, that we have uh, we have this uh, challenging uh, environment right now where it's uh, it's still a lot of uncertainty. We have all sorts of signals that the economy is going uh, is going uh, better. It's getting better, but it's not. But you know, uh, I guess one 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 idea that I want to share with uh, uh, with our audience today is that. In my experience as an entrepreneur, I've got to all these cycles. You know, I've been I've I've been building businesses, companies for twenty one years now, twenty two years because the year has changed in the meantime. So what I what I want to share is the fact that you can make it. So basically, the the uh, these cycles in economy are coming and going, and the the whole idea is how you grow as an entrepreneur or a business leader or a professional or as an expert. Because at the end of the day, if you focus on growing, and for instance, you if you if you listen to this podcast, you are investing in your own education. Yeah, you are getting smarter, you are getting better, you are getting some shortcuts from other people. So that kudos for you for, for doing this. So my message to everyone here is that you're going to make it. And uh, while you're here, that's a, that's a good sign that you are making it. So continue to invest in your education. Be curious uh, and, and be sure and talk to yourself in good terms about what's coming for you. Because doing this will change your mindset, will attract different type of conversation, and you will get into a position to, to make it no matter how hard you think it is. And I, I've been there for, for multiple times, and I, I guess that's, let's say, not related to the post-purchase or to the data and to the customer value optimization, but it's about being becoming a better professional, being a better person, because with this type of strategy, you will not 
go wrong you know you will not go wrong if you invest in yourself if you are curious and if you are also using a language that it's empowering you and it's making you produce more uh, dopamine or serotonin rather than cortisol because it's the brain mechanics right so you can change the chemistry of your brain by talking better to yourself that that's a hack that i've uh, I've, I've applied and it allowed me to get through some very, very bad moments uh, professionally. That is just so wise. I think the majority of people on this podcast who are doing really well, they have this flexible mindset where they view downturns and challenges as opportunities for growth rather than as potential for failure. So I encourage everyone out there to listen or read Mindset by Dr. Carol Dweck on changing exactly what you said, that chemistry in your brain, because it is totally possible. Alan Team, thank you so much for being on the show. Where can people find you online to network? I'm a LinkedIn person, so you can find me on LinkedIn. If you ever feel like you need an advice or my perspective on anything regarding the, I don't know, the customer lifetime value formula or whatever, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm also writing a book. It's going to be out there in May, hopefully. And uh, pretty much that's uh, that's it. And of course, you can check my our CVO Academy. So if you are into customer value optimization, we have an online academy. You can get some free courses out there or you can go in-depth. I've teamed up with eight other bright minds in this field and uh, that was it thanks a lot for uh, listening to this uh, episode wonderful and we'll put the linkedin link in the show notes and make sure that people can be there so they can check out your upcoming book that's very exciting so for those of you listening if you enjoy the show please rate review subscribe tell two friends it does make a difference and for those of you looking for more great content like this check out calibermind.com 